Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Jeremy Cowan, Editorial Director of IoT Now, Vanilla Plus, and The Evolving Enterprise. Together, these brands are bringing you today's sometimes serious, sometimes lighthearted look at digital transformation for enterprises worldwide. Because life's been all too serious lately. So we're going to have a look at what's in the news. And then our first guest is going to explode some of the myths about the Internet of Things. And we'll try to get our heads around what COVID means for our working lives before finding out what's made each of us smile lately. So I am delighted to introduce two people whose expert opinions you may have read on our sites or you may have seen them in webinars or at live events worldwide. That was until coronavirus spoiled the party. No worries, they are here today. And the first is George Malin, the managing editor of IoT Now magazine. George, welcome. Hi, everyone. Pleased to be here. It's great to have your experience today. And the other guest is Matt Hatton, a founding partner of Transformer Insights, one of the newest and best analyst firms covering digital transformation. Matt, welcome to you too. Hi, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. It's good to have you. We're not just looking at your expertise. We want to talk about your new book, The Internet of Things Myth. Matt, you've got to set my mind at rest. As the publisher of several IoT titles, I do get nervous when people talk about myths and IoT all in the same breath. Can you just confirm that the IoT isn't going anywhere anytime soon? Absolutely. The IoT is here to stay. Very important. I love the IoT. And what is what is a, a bit of a myth was 10 years ago, 50 billion connected devices by 2020, which is, let's face it, this year. And that's probably the biggest myth that we explode in the in the book. Or we look at the reasons why we didn't hit that. I see. And in a few words, is there still a need for enterprises to transform digitally after COVID? Absolutely. Even more so, I expect, than before. The environment has completely changed. The economy will have completely changed. The old ways of doing business in many ways will be out of the window and companies will need to find new ways to be more efficient and need to find new competitive differentiators and often that will come through from IoT digital transformation technologies and and uh, various things associated with that. Okay this is for those reasons a good time to look at the headlines. George uh, with your journalist's eye, what's caught your eye in the news? Okay, well, I mean, I was very interested by uh, NTT saying they're going to cease uh, their rollout of narrowband IoT, NB-IoT, uh, in Japan. I guess there's a lot of contributing factors to that. One is the fragmentation uh, in the low-power uh, wide area connectivity market. So, you know, there's Sig Sigfox, there's LoRa, uh, there's still 2G. It depends on what market you're in, and I think... Um, that confusion is is one element. Another element is the um, the volumes just haven't arrived. As as Matt was saying, um, we're looking at very um, thin margins. Uh, you know, some providers are offering uh, you know down to you know maybe a euro or a dollar a year um, for, for for SIM cards in this space over a long period, and uh, that means you've got to have billions of connections, and without billions of connections. Um, the, the technology possibly doesn't stand up. And I think the third thing in the room is, is 5G. Um, 
telecoms providers are basically focusing nearly all of their investment on 5G. Um, NTT itself uh, announced at the end of last year it's going to retire its iMode service. Now that's pretty much Japan specific, but uh, it did have tens of millions of subscribers and it probably still does. Um, I think it peaked um, about 10 years ago with with close to 50 million subscribers. Um, so it's just a basic mobile data service, but for um, NTT to say they're going to give up on uh, iMode um, is sort of symptomatic of putting all their eggs in, in the 5G basket. It's either that or they just don't like hyphens in their technologies. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can be sure of deploying at scale, uh, and of course, if the uh, application is static, then NBIoT can be cheaper than, say, LTE CAT M1 uh, for services like smart metering. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, 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 um, I, I see all the connectivity technologies commoditizing to, to a, a very low price point. So things that were originally thought to be cheap um, aren't necessarily going to be the cheapest. Um, and it's again, it comes back to um, the, the size of the market. The economies of scale only come when we get into tens of billions. So um, having to build a specific network like NBIoT for a smaller market than originally envisaged doesn't give the savings that, that were hoped for. Um, and I think that's true for, for every technology. So at the moment, MBIoT probably doesn't look much cheaper than some modeling that's being done um, around LTEM, for example. So uh, that's, that's, I think, is, is kind of muddying the waters and things look quite confused and it's an uncertain time anyway because of COVID. So I can fully understand why NTT has decided to sort of centralize its, uh, its investment muscle and make no mistake, NTT is a very large investment muscle. Um, mm. But this is in Japan predominantly and the same pattern isn't necessarily true in other markets. Um, I know, I mean, obviously Vodafone is, is, is heavily committed to, to MBIoT and, and so are others. So I think that, uh, we shouldn't necessarily um, say this is the MBIoT myth um, because MBIoT is, is, is performing better and being adopted more widely in other markets, although, of course, it is early days and we haven't seen the billions and billions of, of connections for any no. technology that were predicted. No, indeed. Matt, what other factors do you think are at play here? I think the essential challenge, and this is something that we, we come to in the, in the book in quite a significant way, is that there hasn't been really a de facto standard for wide area narrowband connectivity, the low power wide area LPWA space. It's pretty fragmented compared to the likes of the personal area network, which is all Bluetooth or the local area network, which is predominantly Wi-Fi with a bit of 802.15.4 thrown in for your industrial applications. And in the wide area, broadband space you've got you've got LTE so you've got a lot of fragmentation and not a lot of maturity or a, a lack of maturity amongst the technologies which have come up to to fill that gap which should have been addressing billions tens of billions of that 50 billion opportunity and the problem is immaturity and to misquote uh, Lev Tolstoy all mature technologies are alike, but immature technologies are all immature in their own particular way. So you've got Sigfox kind of being Sigfox, uh, Laura being much more focused in a good way on 
deployments or private deployments for campuses and, and that kind of thing. And you've got NBIoT, which is really the only candidate for nationwide wide area connectivity at their narrowband uh, for that narrowband deployment. But it's had its teething problems. Those quick and cheap upgrades really weren't. And the battery life hasn't been quite been what's what's been hoped. And George meant, mentioned the um, the money issue. You need to get to billions of devices to make this this worthwhile, or you need to be selling a service. You need to be selling the end user service. And what we've seen is a lot of the telcos move in the direction of actually providing the full service. You've seen Vodafone acquiring Grand Centrics and IoT Next, and and back before that, it had Cobra Automotive. So moving more much more into the the vertical space recognizing that you better not just be reliant on the connectivity revenue, which probably ultimately could well go to a to an MVNO model. So on the one hand, you've got the likes of Docomo switching off in Japan, but you've also got some positive news. You've got the likes of Vodafone, T-Mobile, Telia and Swisscom announcing a roaming agreement. You've got AT&T turning on their network. So it's very much a, a mixed picture. I can't see any other technology dominating, but I still think we're way away from having a mature technology to fit that, fill that gap, which should have been accounting for tens of billions of uh, connected monitoring and remote asset tracking type applications. Matt, I knew I could count on you to raise the tone here. We're, we were barely seven minutes into the pod and already ah. we had Lev Tolstoy as the fourth member in the room. That's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, I hope everyone will watch out for an article that we've got coming up on this uh, on iot-now.com. There's plenty more detail in there and some interesting opinions. So um, watch out for that. George, um, any other thoughts about further headlines that we should yeah, have I, I'm, picked I'm, up on? I'm keen to emphasize that it's not all doom and gloom. Um, we're seeing, you know, people are still investing in IoT-related technologies and companies. Um, you know, nothing, lockdown hasn't locked everything down, <laughs> which is nice. Um, a good example, I think last week we saw um, Truephone, which is a, an embedded SIM provider. They've raised uh, about $40 million dollars. Um, to uh, to continue their global expansion and uh, you know it's it's not the biggest deal in the world but it's uh, from existing investors uh, in support of continuing their business model it's not a COVID emergency it's an expansion plan mm. um, so I, th I think that's nice um, it's not alone as well that there, there are other uh, investments in the mid-market that we're that we're seeing and um, I, th I think uh, that it's kind of circles back again to the fact that IoT hasn't delivered on its promise yet. Um, so there's huge uh, headroom for, for growth and the investment uh, market has an appetite for it. And uh, yeah, I think we'll, uh, we'll continue to see that even during lockdown because we don't actually need people to go and touch each other in order to raise money and continue to invest in, in their businesses. Yeah, uh, certainly. We've been reporting on quite a, uh, a number of stories, as you say, in the mid-market. I noticed um, Peak has won uh, 12 million US dollars to uh, extend Series A funding for its enterprise AI system um, with the goal of uh, enabling mass adoption of AI solutions across all kinds of industries. So um, it, there's, there's a lot of stories like that happening, massive have, have you seen any more like that? Uh, T-Mobile and, uh, and Sprint finally... Uh, finishing their merger operations. I mean, that's been a long time coming, though, so I, I'm not sure we can point at that as particularly a, a ray of light. Verizon 
buying blue jeans that came yeah. up. Um, I, I suspect that was probably in the offing before COVID. Otherwise, they made a pretty quick move for, for, for blue jeans, but uh, I, I could be wrong on that. New AI product from AWS. I, I, I can think on the investment side of things, though, that there's still, or there has been in 2018 and 2019, too much money tasting too few investments, which meant that things like SoftBank investing hundreds of millions, billions into companies that perhaps they might not have done otherwise. Mm. And I, I think it's a, it's a general malaise. And if that cools down a little bit, that's no bad thing, but that still means that anybody who's a, a worthwhile investment target will still get their, their money, but we might see some of the, the flyby nights disappearing a little bit more. Yeah, great. Thanks for your thoughts on that, guys. Um, Matt, I want to hear more about your book. Um, mm. I'm enjoying it at the moment. I haven't finished it yet, I have to say, but it's been a very good read. Um, it's a controversial title, the Internet of Things myth. What's the thinking behind it? Uh, the starting point was that back in 2010, there were predictions of 50 billion connections by 2020. That was the, that's the essential starting point. And that we're in 2020 now, and we don't have 50 billion connected devices. I should point out that not everyone was predicting 50 billion connected devices. I was running a company at the time that predicted something like a quarter of that, which proved to be rather more prescient, shall we say. But nevertheless, that 50 billion devices idea caught the imagination of, of everybody who was involved in the, in the space. On the surface, everything seems to be progressing perhaps a little slower than that 50 billion might, might suggest, but actually um, innovation seems to have evaporated a little bit in the last, last five years. Right? We've, we've seen what I've described as a first IoT winter uh, going 2015 through to 2020, hopefully. And I think the analogy with AI winters, that's where the terminology comes from, the AI winter where uh, there's where the great technology developments that have come before start to bed in, but there's no significant technology developments. And I kind of feel like that's where we are with the, with the IoT at the moment. It doesn't mean no adoption. We are seeing the adoption, but there's a, a bit of a hump that needs to be get a, gotten over before the next phase can begin. And that hump involves a lot of things, but basically it's about maturity. I see. The um, book is a collaboration, isn't it? Who, who is it you've been writing with? It is. It's a collaboration with a gentleman called William Webb, who is formerly the CTO of Newell, which uh, the technology from which actually formed the basis for narrowband IoT, as we were discussing earlier. Uh, subsequently, was acquired by Huawei and then turned into MBIoT. Anyhow, he also used to work for Ofcom, and he was at one point the president of the IET. So he knows a lot about wireless technologies. It was good to sit down with him and and uh, and prepare that book. So if I understand you right, I mean, it's not that the IoT sector has been exactly kidding itself that everything's been okay, but um, there's been an awful lot of sort of business as usual without really addressing some of the issues, the, the major issues. What, what do you think are those key issues? Well, firstly, we have, to, we have to look at the fact that there is tremendous success within IoT. There's no, there's no arguing with that. There have been some brilliant applications uh, across healthcare that have changed people's lives, across connected car that have transformed the automotive industry. A, a lot of what we're talking about is, has been tremendously successful. But that's not generally the rule. 
what we see is uh, generally the deployments of IoT have been rather focused on the low-hanging fruit, the more mundane use cases, the, um, uh, if you like, the internal processes and changing those internal processes rather than focusing on changing the, the whole of the way that the, the organization uh, does business. And I think there is a, there's a positive shift to be made towards being more, more transformational, um, which hasn't happened yet. Mm. Uh, I don't suppose you were caught by surprise by anything in it, but I certainly learned something that I didn't know, and that was that the smart meter rollout in Italy was more than paid for by the reduction in fraud. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. And in fact, there are, there are tremendous uh, examples of very successful uh, deployments, but there are also a lot where it's been underwhelming, and we catalogue quite a number of ways in which uh, across 150 pages, catalogue a lot of ways in which IoT hasn't quite lived up to the expectations that we might have had. So we look at things like badly thought out products, connected water bottles, connected kettles. Why would you need a connected water bottle or a connected kettle? You're stood right next to it. Connected rectal thermometers, the mind boggles. <laughs> the, the, the connected fridge, it's a bad rap actually, the connected fridge. Re really, people don't need it to tell them how many, how many eggs they've got in the fridge actually where it's valuable is for the vendor to know how their complicated devices are performing but the problem with that model is you can't get the end user to pay so the erroneous assumption was you could get the end user to pay and therefore it would be rolled out much more rapidly we've also seen um, security issues significant security issues terrifying things like the jeep hack and the ring hack or even just uh, other more widespread challenges which have just created this feeling that there's an under, underlying idea of the IoT being insecure like the Mirai attacks. Um, there's also challenges with bad user experiences. Uh, things like Sonos and Philips end of life in devices that might only be four or five years old when the expectation would be for lighting systems or uh, music systems that you might have them for 10, 15, 20 years. There was a, another example of Garajet, was it? Yes, absolutely. So Garajet bricked somebody's garage door because they wrote a bad review about them on Amazon, I believe, or somewhere. And the, the challenge there is that a bricked garage door is worse than no garage door at all. The point being, you are opening yourself up with regularly used uh, household amenities to a service-based model which isn't being treated with the respect it deserves by the organizations that are trying to sell it. They're treating it in a sort of web scale um, internet type uh, product offering for something that is a, a piece of hardware. There's, a, there's an essential friction between the internet and the things, people who develop for internet, people who develop for things. Things are robust and they are stress tested and uh, they comply with all sorts of strict rules from the uh, from regulators and, and government. Whereas the internet is more or less the wild west, do what you like. And a lot of the practices from, from the internet of beta testing in field and so on, have made their way into the, into the hardware market, which isn't a particularly positive uh, spin.
I should add, uh, this isn't a physical bricking that you described. This was a, a process of disabling a service uh, that somebody had paid for. Yes, that's right. Um, but it's, it's evidence of how you move from a, a, an environment, a tried and tested environment of having a, a, uh, an unconnected device, which you know how it works, you put it in place, you leave it there for 30 years, and trying to persuade people to abandon that and move to a connected environment where you have a service provider is quite a challenging one. And it's not helped if you get these kinds of experiences, which are plastered all over the, the news of people having their uh, devices deactivated after they've only had them for three or four years or after they write a bad review or whatever. So finally, what is it that we all need to learn um, about digital transformations in order to make these successful in the next phase? I think actually there's a lot to be learned from IoT for broader digital transformations. Uh, IoT is in a way a, a bit of a microcosm of, of digital transformation more broadly. And there's a lot of recurring themes that we turn up in the book. The one I mentioned earlier about how the vast majority is, is about uh, low-hanging fruit, incremental changes to how organizations operate, and not a lot that's, that's, that's actually transformational. For instance, not switching to that, that uh, as-a-service business model that we might have hoped that more companies would be uh, adopted. And the problems tend to be internal within the organizations that are deploying it, not ex entirely. Um, the vendors have been guilty of quite a lot of hubris as well, but internally, organizations, enterprises adopting IoT need to think very carefully and make some extensive changes to what they do in terms of process, in terms of business model, in terms of financing. And we talk in the book quite a lot about best practice in this field, making sure you have C-level executive involved in the process, not entrusting everything to IT, making sure you have a a plan for progressing from proof of concept to, to full deployment and having a, a view on uh, change management or a mature approach to change management that really incorporates all of these different different elements. Yeah, well, it's thought provoking. It's sometimes it's funny. And there's a chapter heading in there that says, who cares if we scare the poop out of everybody, except you didn't say poop, but this is a family show. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, where can people get a hold of a copy? You can get a hold of a copy on Amazon. There is a Kindle version and there is a paperback version. And it's called? It's called The Internet of Things Myth. Great. Guys, thank you uh, for your thoughts on all of the above. I want to look forward now. Um, we're living at a time of enormous change. So um, how in your view, is COVID-19 going to change our working lives? George, can you go first? What, what do you think will be different from now on? Are we looking at business travel or video conferencing or much more? Um, I think the changes will um, be far-reaching and some of them will be permanent. Um, I think the days, uh, particularly for Europeans, of jumping on very cheap, very accessible short-haul flights to go to small events are, are probably over, um, which is very sad because it, the face-to-face -face element um, is a great way of, of, of learning things, although we're all becoming more familiar with video conferencing. But I, I do think that um, that business travel is, is going to be radically reduced in future. And um, I think our freedom to move between countries uh, will be limited, um, at least in the medium term, because different countries will be combating COVID in different ways. 
Um, so we will be relying on technology more than ever um, to uh, uh, enable us to continue working. Um, and I think uh, even non-internationally, there will be substantial changes. I can see as um, countries come out of lockdown, um, we start to uh, um, work in different ways. Um, I think some of uh, some of the enforced homeworking will uh, encourage hot desking. Um, I think we'll start to see things like traditional rush hour traffic decline as people come into work in, in staggered ways. So the world of nine to, to five or six will will continue to, to, to erode, actually, as people uh, start to work in different ways. And obviously, technology has a, a massive role to play here. I think in the, uh, in the short term, the going back to work is an opportunity for IoT. I was talking to a company called Estimote last week, which um, has a, uh, a, a tracking device for loan worker safety applications, but they've been able to adapt that and add some additional functionality to it with the purpose of enabling uh, healthcare workers and warehouse uh, workers to come back to work. So that device will set off an alarm if you're within two meters of a person. It will... Um, record data about who you've been exposed to in in your in your work bubble um and, and uh, enable uh, greater tracking of of, of the uh, of the virus and infected areas um very sensibly uh, estimate incidentally is a, is a polish company um so they're within europe and well aware of uh, data regulations very sensibly uh, putting in an opt-in for, for people whose movements are tracked. Um, so the data only uh, stops being anonymized if there is an, a, a, an outbreak of COVID and, and the person who suffers it can opt in uh, and their status is, is communicated in a kind of respectful way because there is, of, of course, a, a concern that if we allow too much tracking to happen, it becomes a sort of sinister state control uh, environment that we're moving into. Um, so yeah, just to sort of finish on this thread, I think a lot will go back to a, a, to normal, as it were, but many of the new functionalities will stay. Uh, I think particularly for people that haven't used things like video conferencing or uh, applications like telemedicine, approving their worth and showing their benefits of things that can be done without requiring physical presence. And some of that uh, will remain uh, and form part of our new normal. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to see huge privacy debates going on around this. Matt, what else um, is there to discuss in this area? What have we missed? I, I kind of think that actually things will, to quite a great degree, go back to how they were before. I, I kind of miss the physical interaction with people. I think we'd probably enjoy doing this podcast more if we were all sat in the same room rather than <laughs> on, our, on our Zoom call. But there we go. Uh, this has stress tested a lot of things. I think that's that's the interesting thing to, to note. Stress tested them in unusual ways that we weren't expecting them to see, see run. So uh, mobile networks have generally held up pretty, pretty well. Broadband networks, yeah, mixed bag. Zoom, it's been the making of Zoom after all. Robust, but some security issues, shall we say. Uh, Netflix subscription seems to be essential. But yeah. it has been really interesting seeing tech being tested and approved, particularly in things like the healthcare sector that would typically have taken years. I saw somebody describe it as, as 2025 being here today. And I think there's some truth in that. I'm sure you're right. Um, it's, a, it's a topic that has been sort of bubbling under for a while and suddenly it seems to be in all the mainstream media. So um, we will not be left behind. I can assure you on that. We will be reporting on that a lot on our sites. Um, 
Gentlemen, there's been a lot of bad news around lately. Let's finish with a smile. Um, there's time for me to ask you to share anything that's made you laugh recently. Matt, what's uh, amused you? Unidentified flying objects, Jeremy. Really? Let's, let's face it, in any other year, the publishing of video footage from the US Navy of UFOs, flying saucers, look suspiciously like flying saucers, would have been earth-shattering. In 2020, uh, no one even thinks it's odd now. This is the, the, the most unusual <laughs> year and we just take UFOs in our stride. <laughs> George, what have you spotted? Um, I've, I've spotted the, um, the great suggestion that you should freak out your neighbours by renaming your home Wi-Fi network 5G, 5G COVID test mask. <laughs> 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 the thing Very that tickled good. me, uh, I saw actually last summer, but it's gone viral in the last few weeks. I, I was walking through uh, the harbour town of Foy in Cornwall when I saw a sign in a bookshop window that said, books in the post-apocalyptic section have now been moved to current affairs. <laughs> <laughs> How true. <laughs> Too close to the bone. Yeah. Well, look, let me finish by saying thank you first to George Malin. Thank you, George. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed uh, talking today. And it's great to have you. And Matt, thank you very much for your time too. My pleasure, Jeremy. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Please keep safe. Keep logging onto our sites. Don't forget to download Matt's book and join us for the next podcast looking at IoT and enterprise digital transformation. Bye for now.